the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. the thing that he stresses here. Different parts, different gifts, great. One body, one church. Jesus is the head. We all have different parts and function beautifully. But don't let your differences cause division. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate with those who celebrate. If one part is honored, rejoice with it. If one part suffers, you should hurt with that part as well. And that's the way it works too in your body. If you you stub your toe, your whole body hurts. Do you ever envy someone else's gift or talent? Maybe it's how good someone else sings on the worship team or someone's vibrant prayer life. But Pastor Gary reminds you today that you too have unique gifts that God has blessed you with. Your talents are meant for you because that's exactly who God made you to be. Pastor Gary will remind you to celebrate what the Lord is doing in your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you just a brief little overview of where we've been up to this point. We spent several weeks in chapter 12 because this is a a section uh, between chapters 12, 13, and 14 about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul is giving instruction to the Corinthian church about. They have apparently misused the gifts of the Spirit. They are somewhat immature in their walk with Christ. And so Paul is correcting them about a few things. And among the things he corrects them is concerning the proper use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the proper function of the gifts of the Spirit within the church. So that's kind of been our theme the last couple of weeks, and including tonight, the gifts of the Spirit and their proper use in the church. And as I've mentioned over the last few weeks, depending on how some people count them, and you will read different things that different Bible scholars will write as they kind of enumerate the different gifts of the Spirit, but there are roughly 20 gifts of the Spirit. 13 of those gifts are here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then there are another seven gifts that are mentioned we will also touch on just briefly. Uh, But so far, we've been looking at nine of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've talked about, and I'm just going to go through the list, read the definitions. If you want all the commentary, you can go back to the previous teachings and pull up the archives on the teaching library on our website. But first of all, we talked about the message or the word of wisdom, which is an inspired insider answer to a problem or question. We talked also about the message or word of knowledge, which is inspired information about a matter or a person. We talked about the gift of faith which is a special ability to trust and rest 
in the promises or possibilities of God for a given situation. And then moving down the list, we talked about the gift of healing, the supernatural ability of God working through a person to cure illnesses or restore health apart from natural means. We talked about the gift of miraculous powers, which is the working of God's power through a person for his glory. We also talked about the gift of prophecy, which is to declare or speak something under divine inspiration for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of people. And it may be either foretelling or forthtelling in its basic definition. We also mentioned the distinguishing or the discerning of spirits. This is to discern between what is divine, human, or evil about a person or a situation. And then last week, uh, we, we finished out the first nine of the 13 gifts. Uh, and we talked about tongues, which is an inspired language unknown to the person speaking for prayer and praise to God. And we also talked about the interpretation of tongues, which is the companion gift to tongues for the purpose of edifying the speaker or hearers. Now, these are all gifts that God gives as he determines through the body of Christ. We talked about why does he do that? Two reasons, for the glorification of God and for the edification of the church. In their proper use, the gifts of the Spirit bring glory to God and edify or build up one another in the local church. But they are to be used properly. There is an order. God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos or confusion. There is a right order for the gifts to be exercised. There's a right place for them to be exercised or not to be exercised. This doesn't mean that God is rigid. It means that God is a God of order. He is a God of simplicity. He's a God who wants things to be done decently and in order. And so the gifts of the Spirit are not to just be something that expresses, that express themselves in this kind of haphazard or ecstatic, you know, um, approach, but they are to be exercised in the proper place, proper way, proper time. Everything is to be done in an orderly and a decent manner. And so we made it through the first nine gifts of the Spirit. And tonight we're going to look through the rest of chapter 12, hopefully even into chapter 13. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 12, we're going to see he, he mentions eight gifts of the Spirit, four of which are new. When you compare the eight to the first nine we've already read, we come up with four that are new. So we'll be talking about that as well. But first, we've got a major section of chapter 12 to get through. So I'm going to start here in verse 12. I'm going to read down through verse 26, and then we'll come back and comment on it. Verse 12 says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, he's using figurative language here. Um, He's talking about being baptized We come together. He's talking about the spirit to drink. We're being immersed in the one and the same spirit, though he says there are a variety, different gifts within the one body. Verse 14, he says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If if they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay, so your attention for a moment before we read the last section of this chapter. Here's what Paul is saying. He gets through listing nine gifts of the Spirit in the first 11 verses of this chapter. And these first nine are often referred to more as the miraculous sign gifts. We're going to get to, into some other gifts of the Spirit that don't necessarily, uh, are, aren't necessarily regarded as miraculous sign gifts. But after he gets through listening, listing a portion of the gifts of the Spirit, he says, all right, now I want everybody to know they're different gifts, all right? But there's one body, and he compares the church like unto a physical body. And he says, the church is like a body and Christ is the head. Christ is always the head. He is the authority. He is at the top. He is supreme. The head is what causes everything else in a physical body to function. The rest of the body, physically speaking, is subject to the head. All right? And so, in using this analogy, he's trying to paint this picture that the church, not just the local church, But the church in general, the church of Jesus Christ, is like a body. So sometimes the church will be referred to as the body of Christ. And he's using this analogy because he wants everybody to understand that though like a physical body, there are different parts. You have a head, you have ears, you have eyes, you have hands, you have feet, you have a mouth, you have all kinds of parts of the body, yet each part is important and no one part is greater than another because every part is interdependent. So apparently the church at Corinth was having some kind of a rivalry when it comes to spiritual gifts, because that's really what he's addressing here. Some people thought that if they had certain gifts, they were more special than other people within the church who didn't have those particular gifts. Again, remember, God distributes the gifts of the spirit as he determines. So it is up to God to determine who gets what particular gifts. You will, in the course of your Christian journey, discover that every person has at least one spiritual gift, and usually more than that. And in the course of our study, you might already have determined some of the first nine. As we go through some more here at the end of the chapter, you might see some others. And then I'm going to mention some from Romans and Ephesians. But apparently what's going on here in the church of Corinth is so typical in any, wherever you have people who get together, most people whether it's subconsciously or intentionally, try to one-up somebody else. Have you ever noticed that? You can have a conversation, you can be at a dinner party, and somebody would say to you, oh man, I, I, I might need shoulder surgery, it's, it's really killing me, I don't, I don't know. And then somebody says to you, yeah, well, I need two knee replacements, and I'll throw in a hip to go. And I'm just like, why does everybody have to one-up just when you're talking? And so that's, that's even what happens in spiritual circles. So apparently some people were going around saying, well, I have this gift. What do you have? Oh, whatever. I have this gift, you know. And unfortunately, it's not too unlike the church today. 
Because in some circles of the church, people go around touting certain gifts as more important than others. So what Paul is saying here is we all have different gifts. Not one particular gift is any more special than another. Just like not one particular part of the body is any more important than another. If we all understand that Christ is the head, then the body of Christ looks complete because we all contribute to it in different ways. That's why he says, how weird would it be if, you know, the whole body was made up of a bunch of hands or the whole body was made up of a bunch of eyes or a bunch of feet? That's why he says, he says, you know, though, though we have many parts, we're one body. And he says if, in verse 13 or verse 15, he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Because all of it is necessary and important for the complementary relationship within the body of Christ. What do I mean by that? The reason why we're all different is to complement one another. That's the way God intended the body of Christ to be. We're not not all supposed to be the same. And no one is more important than anybody else, comparatively speaking. Can you imagine, you know, listen, think about this in terms of how things function properly. Like, let me use some sports analogy. Can Can you imagine on a football field, all right, there's 11 players on offense. And if everybody was the quarterback, you couldn't get the job done. Like you have 11 quarterbacks in the huddle. Can you imagine that? And then they're all calling different plays. Who's going to receive the ball? Who's going to snap the ball? Everybody's a quarterback. Can't, not everybody can be a quarterback. Baseball, same kind of thing. There's nine players on a field. Not everybody can be the pitcher. Not everybody can be the pitcher. Somebody has to catch and field the ball. Or you can't, it it doesn't work. But yet, here's what typically happens. We kind of glamorize. We glamorize the quarterback. We glamorize the pitcher. And the same thing happens in the church. We kind of glamorize certain gifts and think other gifts are lesser. And Paul says, you know what? Those gifts you think are lesser or inferior, they're actually indispensable. Because we can't all be the same. And it is important to understand the richness in the diversity of the gifts of the spirit within the body of Christ. If we were all the same, if we all had the same gift, then there wouldn't be a very complementary functioning church. So that's the beauty of the differences. The same kind of thing works in a marriage. If you you feel like you have married an opposite, all right? Now listen, listen to me on this. The phrase that works for friends is birds of a feather flock together. But the phrase that works for marriage is opposites attract. And the reason is because your strengths are your spouse's weaknesses, usually, and your spouse's strengths are your weaknesses. And together, guess what? You complement each other. If you two were both the same, one of you wouldn't be necessary. (laughs) How many of you who are married... Consider yourself, and this is a financial question, how many of you consider yourself spenders? Now, how many of you consider yourself to be more savers than you are spenders? When two spenders get married, you're going to end up in the poorhouse. When two savers get married, you could buy the poorhouse, but you won't because you don't want to spend any money. 
And what actually is best, and just in terms of this one category of financial stewardship, is when a spender marries a saver. All right? When a spender marries a saver, now, there's, now it's complementary, and one can kind of be a good tension for the other. So the spenders tell the saver, but the challenge is, though, and here's, and here's where I'm going to go because he's going to make this case, too. Don't look at your differences as something to get bothered about. Don't look at your differences as something that could cause division. He's going to mention that. Because the case he's going to make is there's richness in the differences. No one difference is better than another. Okay? But don't use your differences to cause division. And the same thing can happen in a marriage. Where two people are different, they actually complement each other. It's actually a beautiful meshing of two people who are different, but they complement each other. Okay? But don't look at your differences as somehow being weird or wrong. That's the challenge. Because, you see, just using, again, that illustration of marriage with savers and spenders, the spenders can tend to look at the savers and think, what? You're chintzy. You're stingy. You don't ever want to give anybody anything. Look how stingy and chintzy you are. And then the saver looks at the spender and says, if it weren't for me, we wouldn't have anything to give to anybody else. You know? And then you can judge them for being frivolous with, with money. Okay, and so there's a good tension if it's properly understood and if two people understand how they can balance each other and complement each other. That's what he's saying here in the church. So between verses 12 and 24, what we just read, he's saying different gifts equal, however, in importance. Different gifts of the spirit equal, however, in importance. But then the last two verses I read, verses 25 and 26, he says, don't let your differences cause divisions. Don't go around condemning someone because they may not have the gift that you have. Don't look down on somebody because they don't have what you have. Don't be envious of someone because they have what you want. God distributes liberally as he chooses. Just be thankful for the gifts God has given you and function in those particular gifts. So again, verses 25 and 26, let me read it again. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay, so that's, that's the thing that he stresses here. Different parts, different gifts, great. One body, one church. Jesus is the head. We all have different parts and function beautifully. But don't let your differences cause division. Rejoice with those who rejoice Celebrate with those who celebrate. If one part is honored, rejoice with it. If one part suffers, you should hurt with that part as well. And that's the way it works too in your body. If you, if you stub your toe, your whole body hurts. And if someone in the church is hurting, you should have empathy and hurt with them. And if somebody in the body is rejoicing, you should join in their celebration. Because the church should care for one another and function together in a complementary way, not in a divisive way. And unfortunately, the gifts of the Spirit have become way too divisive in the body of Christ today. And shame on us for making the gifts of the Spirit a source of contention and division. I'm not saying necessarily here. I, I, haven't, I haven't noticed it here, but I'm just saying in general, in the body of Christ, shame on us if we, if we use the gifts of the Spirit to cause any kind of division or discord uh, in the church. That's not why they were given. 
So the last part of this chapter, he says this, because we're going to see now a couple more gifts. Verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God and, and in the church, God has appointed, first of all, and here's some of these gifts, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able, those able to help others those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desired the greater gifts. All right, now that, that end section there, he's, he's just throwing out a bunch of rhetorical questions. Because he's, what he's wanting to say is, not everybody speaks in tongues, not everybody prophesies, not everybody has the gift of healing. Okay? God distributes the gifts as he determines. So don't get all worked up because you don't have a particular gift. Just be thankful for the gifts you do have and function in those gifts and give glory to God in that way. Don't envy. Don't be jealous. Just function in the gifts that God has given you. Now, in this last section here, I rattled, rattled off eight gifts, but he's already mentioned four of those in that list. And so I'm going to mention the other four that we haven't already touched on. And those are the gifts of apostleship, uh, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of administration, and the gifts of helps. Okay, so here, so here we go. Just again, a few more definitions to add to the list. The gift of apostleship, he mentions there that God has given, first of all, apostles uh, in verse 28. The gift of apostleship is a visionary gift for planting and overseeing churches or ministries and for maintaining doctrinal integrity. Now, Paul is called an apostle and he had an apostolic gift because his gifting was he went from town to town to town throughout Asia Minor planting churches, but he would never stay very long. Because he was not called to be a pastor, he was, he was an apostle, and the apostle is one who has a gift of planting something, handing it off, and moving on. That is a true apostolic gift, where you plant something, you get something started, you kind of maintain some doctrinal oversight, but other than that, you move on. It's kind of a vi- this visionary gift. Now, this particular gift... Uh, is important to understand in terms of its availability and its function today. Because, strictly speaking, we have to differentiate between the gift of apostleship and the office of apostles. Why is that important to distinguish? Because the Bible tells us that there are two strict definitions for what makes an apostle. And I raise this because... You might ask, are there apostles today? And if there are apostles today, they have to qualify by two strict qualifications that Scripture teaches us. The first qualification is that an apostle, by definition, talking about the office of an apostle, a person who claims to be an apostle, number one, must be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. The Bible tells us in Acts 1, 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, they're talking about replacing Judas. 
And they add in Acts 1.22, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.